Hey everyone, it's Amy Lynn Durham and you're listening to Create Magic at Work. Create Magic at Work is on a mission to equip senior leaders with tools they need to be a true servant leader and actually understand what that means. Improve employee engagement, retain top talent, and transform your workplace culture to have less stress and drama. So let's start making magic. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Create Magic at Work. I have a super fun guest today and kind of unique in his message, although we've probably heard it before and admittedly maybe ignored it. (laughs) But I have Dr. Stefan Zavalin on the show. He is the founder of the company Love to Move. And he's a movement mentor and enthusiast driven to change desk work culture. I'm sitting at my desk right now reading this and I'm starting to feel bad. (laughs) The founder of Love to Move, he mentors organizations on adapting company culture to improve productivity and health. The dream is to evolve the current work desk model so people no longer have to choose between work and their health. I love that already. Stefan aims to make virtual services accessible to all to help this cultural shift. In his free time, he likes to write songs on piano and guitar, critique a good cup of coffee, and play board games with his wife and friends. Stefan, welcome to Create Magic at Work. Thank you so much. I already feel the magic. We had such a great discussion before this. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks for being here. When you reached out to me, I was like, oh, yes, you need to be on the show and we need to hear your message. It just fits right in because your mission to change company culture in this way is inspiring. So tell everyone what the title of your book is and what inspired you to do this. Sure. Uh, So the title of the book is Sit Less, subtitle of Evolve Your Work and Life Without Compromising Your Health. The book is, is actually a really great kind of stepping stone. If you hear me on this podcast, you can follow me on social media. But then if you really are thinking, okay, I want to start doing some of these things, that's a a good starting point of it. And the one thing I want to say about the book is that I've written it to be as accessible as possible. Luckily, people that have read it have said it's very accessible. And it's written in an interesting way of where there's a narrative. You follow along with a woman named Alice and how she starts to implement these things. Then the second portion of each chapter is this sort of informative, dense piece of where, okay, here are the facts, here is sort of the scientific basis for what you need to do and how you may need to do this. And then the last piece is your next three steps. So the three immediate steps that you can take pretty much right away to start implementing whatever you learn in the chapter. And so you make your way through. And my favorite part about writing the Alice story was that she backslides a lot. It's not perfect. It's not always going up. It's very much this kind of up and down, up and down, which is, that's real life. I really don't like when books sort of depict this thing of just do this one thing and life becomes perfect. It's sadly not the case. And you have to make your way through it. It doesn't mean that it won't become great eventually, but it's not always sunshine and rainbows, no matter what. And a lot of this of why I wrote the book, uh, I was even on a, at a TEDx stage. That one's still pending. The video is not quite out yet. Ted is still processing it. But (laughs) this came from me working in the clinic as a physical therapist. And I was having patients come in. I would give them exercises. I would do hands-on treatment. They would feel better. And then a year later, they would come back. Same issue. And so I was going, what's the problem? What's going on here? 
All right, we started talking about it. Maybe it was their setup at home. Maybe it was their setup at work. Maybe they weren't able to get up quite as much. Maybe they were turning slightly left to look at their second monitor more of the time. So they had a kink in their neck. So I started saying, okay, what can we do? Can you talk to your employer? And at that point, they go, eh, maybe. And there's a very, very few that actually would want to go and change any of those things. And so I understood, okay, I need to get in there and change that. And so once I kind of started entering that whole realm, ergonomics always pops up and a lot of companies go, well, we have an ergonomics team. And then when I talk to the employees, they're going, I talked to my ergonomics team at the very beginning of my hiring two years ago, and I haven't heard from them since. So it's almost this kind of, yes, we have it, but are you really using it to its best ability? And ergonomics seems to just kind of, they set you up in a really good posture and desk setup, but they're not working as much on the culture side of things. And that's what the book and that's what I try to do is bring in this culture side of things because you could have the best desk setup, but if you're not standing up to move and you're sitting for 13, 14, 15 hours a day, that's the big bad wolf, if you would, of all of that's going to happen to you. Unfortunately, an hour of exercise doesn't reverse all of those things. So we think that it's just about having a good desk setup. It's also about having the habits to stand up and move around frequently throughout your day. And a lot of that depends on your team and your culture and how much that is supported. Right. Okay, so let's dial it all the way back. <laughs> let's say we have people listening that are like ergonomics team. I, my company, I've never even heard of that. Like my company's not going to spend money on something like that. Explain first, just really quickly, what that is to someone that might be listening. Like I just go to work and come home and try to hit my goals, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So the ergonomics team is effectively, they're supposed to make sure that your environment, your desk work uh, environment, or a lot of bigger kind of factory companies might have this as well. Basically, your environment is the least stressful and destructive for your physical body. Physically, right. Cool. Maybe not so the mental, but yeah, mm -hmm. the physical side of things. So that you're not, if you're a factory worker, constantly bending over and hurting your back because you're in this bent position. So that your desk is adjusted properly so that you're not having back pain because you're leaning forward in your chair all the time. So they go in and they make sure that everything, all the desks and the chairs and the computers are adjusted properly. But like I said, most of the time they'll adjust it that once and they rarely teach you how to adjust it for yourself. And it's on the company to follow through supporting that culture of, hey, we really want you to utilize these tools that we're providing. So this morning, the morning of that we're talking, Thrive Global in their well-being article put out 10 ways to get out of a slump when you're feeling unmotivated. And the interesting thing to me was one of the 10 ways was try using a standing desk. And the quote was from a local uh, government employee that said, I work long days during most of which I am sitting and stationary. Fortunately, as part of my employer's ergonomic program, I have a standing desk, which I utilize once I'm feeling that slump. I simply prop it up to stand every once in a while to give me that much needed boost. It also helps me as an individual who is active and has a hard time sitting still, admittedly. It's a small yet significant way in which I can break up my long work hours while remaining productive. I was reading this this morning. Clearly, the universe sent me this article to read before I interviewed you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was thinking, why is this such a treat in the workplace to be able to stand? And why are only certain companies buying into this? And maybe elaborate a little bit more on the benefits of it. 
Sure. And this is, uh, we can almost put it into a bigger subsection of um, corporate wellness and that whole idea of things of companies buying into that and thinking, how does it affect our employees? Mm -hmm. We have to be realistic about it. When a company hears about some sort of program or something that goes in, they're more interested in how does this affect productivity and how does it affect the bottom line? As much as we want to say, and we are trying to get companies to have the culture to care for the people, it is a numbers game and it is a business. And to some degree, it's understandable why they want to do that because it is a business uh, at the end of the day. So it can be sometimes hard whenever you say, okay, a standing desk is good for my health. Okay, it's good for your health, but then what else is important for the company so that they truly actually invest into it? And that's where, for example, as the government official was saying is they feel more productive. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So a lot of companies during the pandemic actually gave out funds to their employees to buy something for their home office. Not most companies, but a lot of companies. Really cool. It is really cool. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, how is an employee supposed to know what they need to get? They have a Mm. a fund, but then they they don't know which thing they need to get, how much it costs. Should they spend all $600, say, on a chair, or should they get the standing desk? And then the chair is only maybe a 100 bucks. And that is hard to know because that's not part of the culture. Ergonomics teams maybe need to kind of talk about those things, but it's sort of that mix. Overall, however, whenever we hear about standing desks, whenever we hear about getting up and, and stretching and moving around throughout your day, people say it's good for your health. It's good for your health. It is good for your health, but it's also good for your work. When you sit for more than 30 minutes at about that 30 minute mark, you have less blood flowing to your brain, which means you're not able to make as many good decisions. At about the one to two hour mark, just depending on how we are, we increase the amount of errors that we make in creative tasks by 50%. So if you have a job that requires you to have good creative skills or decision making, you need to be able to get up and move. And that's more influential than saying, well, standing desk is just good for my health. We need to kind of bridge that gap of saying it's also good for my work ability as well as my health. And that's the whole thing of what we said at the beginning, making work actually good for you as opposed to just, no, you're supposed to be sitting down and working, working, working. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that the article was, these are ways to get out of a slump. And I was thinking, well, how about we just create systems and environments that don't put us in a slump. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to unthread a lot of these systems that a lot of us have worked in. But this is one great way to slowly start to make those changes and get that message out. I saw somewhere where you were equating the sitting at your desk for long periods of time to cigarette smoking. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I like to give this little timeline of what sitting sort of does to our bodies. And we kind of talked about the sitting of if you sit for an hour or two. But okay, what about the total sitting throughout the day? And this is how it equates to what cigarettes effectively do to us. So at about six hours of sitting, which most of us sit far more than six hours, but six hours of sitting in a day seems to increase anxiety and depression. And then eight hours doubles our risk of cardiovascular disease, which is huge, especially with the pandemic and everything. Cardiovascular disease still was the number one killer in the U.S., even throughout these last couple of years. So still important. The nice thing there, I know that sounds like doom and gloom, but exercise reverses both of those things. So if you get in a good amount of exercise, great, you're going to be fine. The issue comes at the 11 hour mark or more, and we tend to sit more than 11 hours. 
Eleven or more hours increases our risk of premature death by forty percent. It's all cause mortality, meaning from anything and everything, by forty percent. And that's kind of where it's so similar to smoking. The issue is in that study that they did, it didn't seem to correlate poorly for、uh, exercise. Exercise didn't reverse it. They still had forty percent of an increase for individuals that sat eleven hours or more per day. That sat、uh, more than eleven hours, but yes, yes, per day. So if I sit for more than eleven hours in the day and I hit the gym for an hour, it's not going to do anything. Is that what you're saying? It will do a lot of things. It will no, no. <laughs> it will do a lot of good things, but it won't completely reverse it. I think we have this thought of, well, I exercised today, so obviously I'm doing perfectly fine. Unfortunately, that doesn't quite reverse it. And that's that's really why the book is called Sit Less because so if you sit eleven hours a day, you're actually pretty good compared to the average. The average it depends.、Uh, some American averages are fifteen hours a day. Wow, which means. You know, if you're trying to move more and exercise more to reduce your sitting to below 11 hours, are you going to really exercise five hours a day?、Yeah. That's preposterous. We have to find ways for you to sit less, which is kind of a, a whole different mindset. We can、right. get into that, but that's a little bit different. So yeah, that's where it equates、mm-hmm. to smoking is 11 or more hours of sitting. Hey, magic makers, Amy here. Listen, I wanted to say to all of you: don't get hung up on the word spiritual. Spiritual intelligence is a faith-neutral practice, and it can be accessed by almost anyone. Your spiritual intelligence experience will be unique to you, and often it starts with making wise and compassionate decisions for yourself, and also working on boundaries and protecting your energy. Let me help guide you to lose the stress and overwhelm, and feel that deeper sense of meaning in your life. Spiritually intelligent people practice making wise and compassionate decisions, even under great stress, and maintain inner and outer peace while doing so. You can't fake spiritual intelligence, but with some inner work, you'll be able to feel and exude this energy, and everybody around you will notice and want to follow suit. Think about what your ripple effect is in this world, and how you want to leave it. If you're interested in going on this transformational journey, reach out to me. Email Amy. At createmagicatwork.net, or go to createmagicatwork.net forward slash work with me. Sending magic to everyone. Yeah, and I would imagine the sit less that you're talking about, and from what I've seen, it's these micro changes throughout your day, so you don't have to feel like it's these blocks. Like I sat for six hours, and now I have to exercise strenuously for one, <laughs> and like I don't know, that feels overwhelming to me. And I should, I do want to add. For everyone listening,、uh, Doctor Stefan is standing during this interview. <laughs> the show's audio only right now,、um, but yes, he is standing while he's speaking to me, and I'm sitting. So I feel like I need to get a desk that lifts up or something. So the reason why I brought up the smoking correlation is because I have talked a lot about loneliness in the workplace and how there was a. Research article from Harvard Business Review that was called "The Loneliest Workers in America," and it basically equated feelings of loneliness and isolation to the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day in regards to healthcare costs, and in regards to—I mean, mainly they were correlating it to healthcare costs. So, 
if you think about that in the workplace where you're talking about companies are looking at the bottom line, they're looking at productivity, profitability, how can we get our employees engaged? This is the way because it's these hidden costs that you might not be running in your metrics or in your data analytics. You know, how many, what about my disengaged employee that feels like they're in a quote unquote slump? Like I just read. Mm -hmm. Are they sitting in their desk all day? Mm -hmm. I mean, wow, what a simple little tweak, right? And then with spiritual intelligence, I just need to throw this in. There's an an arguable pyramid similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the bottom of the pyramid is PQ, your physical intelligence. And then the next layer is IQ. And then the next layer is EQ, emotional intelligence. And then the top of that pyramid is SQ. So SQ is like the up level to EQ, right? Mm-hmm. How can you... I'm just, this is a rhetorical question, but I'd like you to also, you know, comment on it. Mm -hmm. I really think that what you're talking about needs to be heard, needs to be reinforced, because if your PQ is not at the bottom of that foundation, it's going to be a bit more of a struggle to put your ego aside and operate from your higher self. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're in a slump, if you feel like tired, if you feel uncomfortable because your neck is tweak or your back is tweak? How can you make wise and compassionate decisions at a high level or be a wise and effective change agent? So I wanted to, you know, inject all of that into this conversation because it's really important that we do talk about physical intelligence because it's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on sitting less (laughs) can help in ways that make you feel more productive in life? So we kind of briefly touched on the physiological sides of things of just you have improved blood Mm -hmm. flow, your nervous system is going to feel better, you're going to be able to breathe better, so more oxygen. Those are kind of the obvious things of yes, uh, yes, you're moving more. An interesting tidbit that I thought as you were uh, speaking about it is one of the common diagnosis factors for back pain and neck pain is depression. We don't think about it that way, but realistically, the postures that we get into when we are not at our happiest and when when we are depressed stress out the spine, especially at the low back and at the neck a lot more. Um, and so this is kind of to add in more to what you're saying about it's the equivalent of people smoking 15 cigarettes. There's a lot to it. It takes a toll on our body, um, even in just that kind of postural thing. The way that I want to address that pyramid is, so I have I have this course Uh, It's called the Love to Move course, where we talk about the why do we move, the how do we move, and the where do we move. And I start with the why because the why is the most important part, and it really is going to line up all of the rest of it. And really, it lines up the physical with everything else that you said as far as the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual side of things. So the why, one of the exercises we do in there that I really, really like, and it, it takes a little time and you have to be very honest with yourself, is repeatedly asking yourself that question of why. So you can start with the why do I move or why do I need to move. Now you can say, I, I need to move because it's good for my health or it's good for my job because I'll be more productive. Why do you need to be more productive? Well, I guess I need to make more money and this job is important to me. Okay, why is this job important to you? Well, because I, I need to make the money. Why do you need to make the money? It seems ridiculous, but we're going to keep on going down lower. I need to make the money to support mm-hmm. my family. I need to make the money to be the person I want to be and express my full self. Why do you want to do that? Sounds a little more ridiculous. 
And you keep on going down to where you go, well, I want to be happy. I want to be loved. I want to be fulfilled. I want to feel free because there's a freedom to having a certain amount of money. There's a freedom to knowing my family is healthy and happy. And so when you go all the way down to it, you find that deep core value of what is it really that's motivating you all the way up? And it's going to be different for different people. But usually the core values are somewhat similar. Then you use that to motivate each other point so that you're saying, I really am making money because it makes me happy and it makes me free and it makes me feel loved by my family since I can provide for them. And I'm moving for my job because I can do all of those things better. And so it's, it's finding that deeper connection and I can do it that quickly because I've talked through it so many times and I know what it is for myself, but really taking the time to sit down because sometimes you're sitting there and you're going, I don't want to take out the trash. That sounds awful and miserable and I have to put on my shoes. But then you go, okay, me taking out the trash, one, gives me a little bit of movement. It breaks up your sitting. It doesn't always have to be exercise. Two, you know that your family is going to be happier if you take out the trash. They may go, okay. You could even be happier when you look at an empty trash can. So then you connect it to this deeper level and then taking out the trash feels a little bit more fulfilling. Is this going to work every single time? Absolutely not. Sometimes things just suck (laughs) and that's okay, but it will at least uplift a portion of those experiences so that you can, like you say, operate from that slightly higher level. Mm -hmm. So on the what, let's say, you know, someone listening is like... (laughs) Okay, this all sounds amazing, but I have so much work to do. I don't even have time to get up. I get up and I grind for hours on end. And there's no way my boss is going to go for this stuff. They always talk about how their budgets are so tight. I'm just, you know, being devil's advocate here. What are some small tweaks maybe that person can do to sit less? Okay, so I'm actually going to answer it in a weird way. So there's two things. We're going to okay. go with move more and then we're going to go with sit less. Okay. So the difference between moving more and sitting less is moving more are those kind of things where people go, I'm going to go for a walk at lunch. I'm going to stand up and do a stretch. They're great and wonderful things. But if I told you to stand up every 30 minutes or stand up every hour and do a stretch and you maybe moved for two minutes, two minutes, is, by the way, is the ideal time. But even if you do two seconds, okay. it's better than never getting up at all. That's only going to add maybe half an hour of non-sitting time to your day, we need a little bit more. So start with that piece of where, okay, I'm going to break up a little bit here, a little bit there, whether it be by time or by task. So maybe you know that this task is going to take me about 45 minutes. Maybe it's going to be 50. Okay. You don't have to set a timer. As soon as you're done with that task, you can either go stretch or go do some chore. If you're working remote, it's still movement. Your body doesn't know the difference. Movement is movement. I like sweeping our first floor. That's my little kind of break. So find that thing that you can do. That's the moving more piece of you break up your sitting a little bit and you do that task. And that's what people think of and they usually stop there. The bigger piece is the sitting less part. And the sitting less takes a while. It's a long-term game and you start with finding what are those tasks that you have to do at work that maybe take you 15, 20, 30 minutes that you could transition in doing in standing or doing in walking. This could be, there are some emails that you have to answer. And maybe every Monday, you know you're going to spend the first 20 minutes looking through your emails. Can you take your laptop, put it on a counter? Can you prop your monitor up on a pile of books? Can you take a phone call while walking and pacing back and forth? You can start with one or two. It doesn't have to be your whole day. But then you slowly transition and you're going to find those places where you can add in more standing. You're still doing the exact same work. This is not adding more movement and more tasks for you to do. Kind of what you said. I have to exercise after six hours of sitting. No, we're trying to find how do you do the same work 
mm-hmm. while actually standing, which is a lot that can get a little bit more complicated, which is that's primarily what I end up coming in and doing and talking about and teaching and we're finding those specific ways. But it's what can you adjust? You mentioned that I'm standing up. I hold my title very proudly that I've only sat for two Zoom calls last year. Um, I'm hoping to make it zero Zoom calls this year, but I don't have a standing desk. I have a pile of books that I put everything up on. It's very doable and you don't have to spend a lot of money and equipment on it. It's one of those things where you just have to start and see what works for you. And kind of calling back to the whole thing about Alice, sometimes things don't work. Sometimes you try for two weeks and then it goes by the wayside. That's okay. You can restart and keep on going again and again. Love it. Love it. Thank you. That's way cool. Thanks for sharing all Mm -hmm. that. What is your definition of a servant leader? So in general, for me, in the book, I kind of talk about leadership as well. That's the final thing because we follow Alice all the way to the point of uh, where she becomes a really kind of higher up manager and how, how she helps everybody else. The truth is that Alice was a leader from the very, very get-go, that at any point, any one of us could be a leader. It doesn't matter if you're actually the manager of the team or not. So in, in my opinion, a servant leader would be somebody that really, first of all, starts and, and basically acts themselves as opposed to asking other people to do stuff all the time. It's sort of this leading by example. You can get into all the thing of like, you should delegate as a leader, you shouldn't take on all the burden, <laughs> but... I don't feel that there should ever be a question of anybody around you that you are attempting to lead and you're doing so by example and not just lip service. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Definitely start at everyone's a leader, whether you have the title or not, right? Mm -hmm. You can behave that way for sure. So at the end of every Create Magic at Work episode, I pull a journal prompt card from my journal prompt deck. And this is a message from the universe for you and, and anyone listening, no matter when it is. So this one, I'm going through the deck right now. And this one card is just like poking out. So, All right. <laughs> well, this is cool. We got partnership. <laughs> nice. And the affirmation on the card is the people in my network are supportive and genuine. I love getting this message at the end of our conversation, because if you are in a workspace where you feel like it's not going to support maybe what we were talking about, maybe you're that leader that steps up and you affirm to yourself, hey, the people in my network are supportive and genuine and help make some changes in your workspace, right? Mm -hmm. So question for you, Dr. Stefan, what are some things that uh, people can do? I know we already talked a lot about this. Um, to make their work relationships harmonious. Guys, I'm sure that if you've ever listened to this podcast or any of these topics, this is going to sound like a broken record. But the first one undoubtedly is listen. This is something that I've had to learn personally over and over. I still struggle with it. We tend to listen to the other person to think of when we're going to say the next thing, when our quippy fun punch thing is going to come in next. Listen to understand them and then respond Sometimes it has to be, you have to take a little bit of time. Maybe there is a longer pause and we are not comfortable with pauses. That's okay. Take the time. And once you truly understand them, your answer is going to be better. Even if you don't know, you're likely don't know because you're not fully listening. Um, we know and we're capable of a whole lot more than we think and that we give ourselves credit for. But that would be the biggest thing for partnerships is truly understand them. You're not trying to force them to be your partner. 
you're trying to understand why they would be a good partner and why any kind of networking might be good for you. Yeah, love it. And what a cool thought today to think about if you do have, if you personally, or if someone on your team just is like, oh, I just feel like I'm in a slump. And a lot of leaders go to, how can I fix this? Or how can I help? Or, you know, what if we just stood up for a second? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how cool is that? Or, hey, let's support each other and standing up and walking around every hour, or something to that effect, or let's all pitch in and get some standing desks or I mean, you're so right. Like, we don't have to sit on Zoom. Mm -mm. You can stand on camera. (laughs) You're doing it right now. (laughs) It can truly be as simple as sometimes people go, well, the meeting's an hour. Okay, stand for the first five minutes. Or you can have a shorter meeting where it's standing only meeting. It's only a 15 minute meeting. It's very quick. And honestly, it gets things going faster because I think we've all been in those meetings where you're going, this did not need to be an hour. This was at most an email. Yeah, like those, yeah, the jokes around uh, the internet, the internet that yeah. say this meeting could have been an email, right? <laughs> oh, and I've unfortunately been in those as well. But sometimes you can make a short meeting in 15 minutes and it could be a standing room only kind of thing. And that can be both physical when you're present in the office or remotely when you're on Zoom. So I'm going to do something that's a little bit of a twist. I have a journal prompt card that I authored titled Body Movement. Mm. And I just feel like I have to, even though I didn't pick it, you know, we picked partnership, which was great. And the listening, so great for that advice. I have to mention body movement for the end of this episode. And the affirmation that I um, is on the card is when I move my body, I feel more vitality in my life. And I really think that sums up everything we've talked about. So thank you so much for being a guest on Create Magic at Work. If people want to get a hold of you and learn more, get a copy of your book, how can they reach out to you and connect with you? Sure. Uh, so stephanzavalin.com is easy to find there. If you go to Amazon and just type in sit less Stephen Zavalin, it'll pop up. It's a beautiful purple cover, easy to find. And then Instagram is where I post most of the time at stephan.zavalin. Okay. But it's a unique enough name where you can, you'll be able to find me, uh, but I'm on most social media please just reach out to me. You can do it on DMs and Instagram. You can do it through the website. I love questions. And I might have heard your question before. It doesn't mean you can't ask it again. So thank you for having me on the show. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. I think we definitely sent some magic to everyone today. Best of luck in everything that you're doing. This is a great message. So thank you for being here. Thanks. Hey everyone, it's Amy here. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Create Magic. Please come back often and subscribe, rate, and move the podcast. Keep joining us for more exciting episodes where we help you transform workplace culture to systems that create less trauma and stress and have high productivity and profitability. You can get your own tools for the workplace at createmagicatwork.net. I have a new Create Magic at Work, the journal that just released, and it invites about different themes for work in your career. Each section of the journal contains a topic, an affirmation, and two prompt questions to help you journal your thoughts. Topics are inspiring others, mentorship, expansion, and productivity. So connect with me at createmagicatwork.net. Also with me on LinkedIn and Durham, sending magic to everyone and see you next time.